welcome to Raw the Podcast with Emma and Amy, where we talk real and raw with mamas who have had to fight and be fierce, who have been thrown curveballs and faced adversity. We discuss everything from premature birth and NICU life to special needs and infant loss. Nothing is off topic. We hope that by opening up and being vulnerable, we can break down the walls and start to remove some of the shame and stigma associated with these traumatic experiences while helping other mamas feel less alone. I'm Emma, a rural living mum to two preemie and medically complex girls, Hazel Earthside and our warrior Willow up in the stars. And I'm Amy, special needs and medical mama to preemie boys James and Jack and a fierce advocate for the preemie and special needs community. We don't share your average mama stories and this isn't your average podcast. Raw is unrefined and breaks through the bullshit of navigating guilt, grief and trauma. I mean, let's be honest, we've been through more shit than some could ever imagine. So at this point, we don't really have a filter. But with this being said, please note, we do talk about sensitive topics in our episodes, which we know can be distressing. We give this warning simply to empower you, our audience, with the knowledge you need to make healthy decisions about how and if you should consume this podcast content. Please take care of yourselves and don't hesitate to ask for help if you need it. And lastly, let us assure you that it's not all bad and sad. Above all, we hope to shine a light on the life-changing perspective and appreciation that only these experiences can give you. We share the overwhelming joys and triumphs that our little miracles, both here and in heaven, bring to our lives. And we discuss the inspiration and hope we have gained from this community. While our experiences are individually unique, we are forever a part of something truly special. A community of fierce mama bears and their cubs navigating the storm. And together we'll roar. Welcome back to our amazing Raw the Podcast listeners. Thanks for coming back for another week. Unfortunately, Emma wasn't able to join us for this episode, so it's just me on this one. Amy, that is. <laughs> I'll be quite honest with you, I was quietly shitting myself, so I hope that's not too obvious. Um, the audio audio isn't ideal on this one and has a bit of an echo, so I do apologise for that. So we are doing something a little different for the next couple of episodes. We are not only discussing a new topic, infertility, but we are also speaking with two guests and splitting the episode into two parts across two weeks. This is really special as we're getting both a personal and professional insight with our first guest being an infertility sufferer and our second guest being an expert in the field. So today's guest is a truly all-round amazing person who I've known for quite a long time, Olivia. Liv has such an emotive story to tell about her and her partner, Jamin's struggle with infertility, which includes severe endometriosis, countless surgeries and medications, egg and embryo preservation and IVF. Her journey is still far from over and even though she is still in the thick of the trauma, Liv bravely opens up about her everyday fight against the disease and how it has caused an unexplainable amount of pain and heartache. I'd like to give our listeners a bit of an extra trigger warning today as we'll be discussing infertility issues and IVF which can be quite triggering to those that have or are currently experiencing similar. I just want to remind you to listen with caution and be gentle with yourself and to turn this pot off if it's causing sadness or distress. Welcome Liv, (laughs) thank you so much for joining us to discuss something that is still and will forever be so painful and poignant for you. I know your fight is quite raw and real right now and as someone who has personally struggled with infertility in the past, I want to approach this with sensitivity and compassion. So please take your time and don't answer any questions if it's all too hard. We really appreciate your courage and vulnerability in speaking with us today. Well, with me today, it's just Amy. (laughs) Um, Unfortunately, Emma couldn't join us today. So yeah, thank you for um, helping us break the taboo and silence surrounding infertility. 
Your journey actually started before you met your now husband, Jamin, when you were diagnosed with endometriosis. So how old were you at the time and what were your initial symptoms? So I was officially diagnosed in 2014, which puts me, I think I was 23 or 24 at the time. I had, That was a lead up of probably five, six, seven years of like just being a revolving door in doctor's surgeries. Um, my main Ugh. symptoms were um, just um, abdominal pain. And I'd always had painful periods, but no one thought to check in on that, I guess. Um, but leading into my diagnosis, I'd actually yeah. had um, like barium x-rays, um, colonoscopies. I'd been ruled out of celiac prone. So everyone was sort of looking down the path of, um, I guess, like bowel-related issues. Um, and I'd gone and seen about three or four gynecologists, like actual specialists in this field, and still um, came up huh. empty-handed. So, <laughs> yeah, it was it was a long process. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. But that's the thing with endometriosis, as we are becoming more aware of now, is that it's sort of like I won't say a silent disease because it's not silent, and this, I think suffer, suffering in silence is more. Um, what what I want to say, um, the fact that no one really recognises the symptoms or um, even is willing to investigate. So at what point did you sort of realise this wasn't normal um, and then decided to seek, you know, further help or a second opinion? And yeah. what did that sort of look like? Well, it was actually a big push from my parents because, I mean, I'd had uh, a few emergency trips where I'd been like just struck down with this debilitating pain and I remember one day mum actually called an ambulance and took me to the RA um, and they did a full workup on me yep. and obviously found nothing <laughs> um, but they did say that my inflammatory markers yeah. and my blood tests were really really high and they said this isn't normal for a kid her age so you need to take her to the GP and sort of get to the bottom of this um, that still didn't get to, you know that's when the investigation started for Crohn's yeah. and celiac and whatnot but I think actually my mental health started taking a bit of a hit and my parents were a little bit worried about how I was coping and, um, you know, it was probably the end result of years of putting up with um, symptoms and, you know, being at the end of my yeah. tether with coping. And so they put me on to this um, family friend who was a GP and he um, said, look, I'm not entirely sure what's going on, but I have a really great gynecologist. I'm going to refer you to him. Um, and his first, which I guess just sums up how terrible it is in the delay, the delay with the diagnosis, is he said, I'm actually more concerned right now with the anxiety that your daughter has versus what's actually going on with yeah. her. Because I'd obviously gotten to such a bad point mentally because of everything I was putting up with, that that was a huge concern for him. Um, but that's that the referral that led me to um, my gynecologist who diagnosed me in 2014 yeah March is actually endometriosis awareness month so I'm glad we have managed to <laughs> fit this episode into this month um so endometriosis affects approximately 10 percent of women so that's one in 10 in their reproductive years and that's between sort of the ages of 15 and 49 that's approximately 176 million people in the world so yeah. and then in infertility circles approximately half the patients have endometriosis. I'll just quickly explain that endometriosis is a condition in which tissue similar to the lining inside the uterus is found outside the uterus where it induces a chronic inflammatory reaction that may result in scar tissue. The symptoms include painful periods, painful ovulation, pain during or after sexual intercourse, heavy bleeding, chronic pelvic pain, 
fatigue and infertility. And as you said, it can impact on, you know, general physical, mental and social well-being as well. So the fact that it is so common, uh, there's still such a lack of awareness by both, you know, even women and the healthcare providers. Due to, I guess we just normalise the symptoms, don't we? We just put it down to a bad a bad period. Yeah, um, and, and yeah. It's, it's interesting. On that note too, it's... It is for me, um, when I was a teenager, I obviously had really, really bad periods and they were very heavy and I'd miss, I'd frequently miss days of school. That was quite common. But I think sometimes too, what's not covered with endo is the sort of symptoms that you can have all month round, because there is this, like, I guess this perception that people that suffer with endometriosis mm-hmm. are sort of struck down for one week out of a month, which is still hell on earth anyway. But for me, I, yeah. you know, like I, I was thinking the other day, if I sat down and did a symptom diary of what I suffered from on a daily basis, it would probably be very overwhelming for me to look back and see that I'm just so used to this being my, Mm. this being my baseline. I function on this baseline that I'm just become so used to that I just don't know any better. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. You don't know until you know. Yeah. Like you said, you look back in that perspective now. Yeah. And so obviously there are varying levels of severity and yours was, um, I think, has been diagnosed as severe. So what happened once you were diagnosed? um, What was the treatment and when did Jamin come onto the scene throughout this process? So I actually had, um, me and Jamin had just met, maybe we'd been together a year when I was diagnosed. Um, But we, when I went in to see my specialist, um, the very first time I was explaining what was going on, I'd never really heard of endometriosis. So I had no idea. I wasn't going in there expecting anything in particular. And he sort of um, listened, like really listened to me and what was going on. And he said, look, I think I know what's going on, but I just want to have a bit of a a look and see, you know, whether I can pick anything up. And he tried to do a pap smear and physically couldn't. I was in so much pain that he had to like abort the mission because it just wasn't possible for him to do a pap smear on me. And he said, I don't even need to think about this. Um, I need to book you in for surgery. I think you have endo and the only way we're going to know is by going in and having a look. So um, then, you know, obviously a few weeks, a month later, I went in for my first surgery. Um, And that's that's a surreal situation as well because you're sort of getting... You're lying down on this theatre table going, I have no idea whether they're going to find something or whether they're not. So am I going to wake up and you don't want a diagnosis, but at least then you validated what you've been through. (laughs) So it's a, yeah. 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 Totally understand that feeling of, um, I mean, different situation. But when I first went in um, after not being able to fall pregnant for a couple of years I um getting all the tests and things and kind of yeah that backwards and forwards do I actually want them to find something or would I be you know happier if they didn't like it's that real tricky um I just want to be able to fix this obviously but I don't want to yeah I don't want the diagnosis um, (laughs) and like an unfortunate yeah and unfortunately for you it was it's it's a long-term diagnosis as well it's not something that was a quick fix and I will just do this and you're never going to suffer from it again so yeah and I remember Um, when I lied down on the table and my parents had dropped me off at the hospital they can't even tell you how long you're going to be in theatre for because it's dependent on what they find so I remember mum saying I'd been gone three hours Mm -hmm. and she just was 
starting to get so concerned about what they had found and what was going on. So, yeah, it <laughs> yeah, a lot. Yeah. <laughs> And then even before even before the surgery, I don't know if they did this with you, but when you're signing the consent form, there's so many like, <laughs> possibilities of what they what they might find and what they might do, and you're literally just signing like all this consent, and you're just giving them full power without knowing anything. And yeah, um, yeah. So when you were in there, obviously for that first surgery, um, he obviously found the endo. Did he remove it then and there? Yeah, he did. So he found um, stage four. Um, endo which as we know the stages don't always correlate with severity of symptoms but what it basically meant is I had um, endo sort of crawling throughout my whole reproductive organs and then on my bowel and my bladder as well and um, I also had a um, uh, endometrioma cyst on my left ovary um, which was the cause of a lot of my pain Um, so there was a lot going on Mm. so I think he sort of once he got in there he yeah (laughs) It was a bit messy, <laughs> to say the least. <laughs> oh, gosh. So we're going to, yeah, talk about your specialist, um, Dr. Ray Young. I'm assuming that that is who you've been with from the start. Um, yeah, you just happened to fall upon him, it sounds like, through a family friend, which is incredible because um, Dr. Young was also my fertility specialist yeah. and he's actually going to – we're going to be um, a guest – next week on the podcast which is really exciting yeah yeah um yeah he's the best isn't he yeah. I mean we'll we'll you'll all figure that out as we when we interview him and as we talk about him through this episode but he is happy to be named um just so you're aware Liv yeah okay, and um cool. yeah we'll talk we'll talk more about him as we go but um incredible incredible man so yeah so you obviously what happened after that? So you had, I know you've had multiple mm. surgeries. Like I said, it wasn't just a one surgery and then it's it's gone, unfortunately. And they're quite difficult surgeries. I um, had a similar surgery or a few similar surgeries and they're quite extensive and it's not, the, you know, the quick recovery that people think it is. I just remember that shoulder tip pain. Oh, my, oh my gosh. <laughs> it's intense. Yeah. <sighs> yeah. It's, it's not, I... Yeah, I mean, obviously the first surgery was the worst one that I've ever had to recover from because everything was done in that one surgery. But the problem with endo is mm. it can have a reoccurrence. It, it can even so there's a there's two types of ways that you can take care of um, an endo lesion, and this is a very um, layman's terms of explaining it. But you need to be able to excise it out, which is obviously something that Ray's amazing at doing. But he did say to me. Um, after the first surgery like yours is very severe I I think we can expect that it's going to rear up again <laughs> for you um and yeah. over like we needed an, a few a few extra surgeries um over the next couple of years just because of some symptoms that I was experiencing um but what Ray also does is he um take tests your AMH levels which is your um egg reserve um which sort of gives you a bit of a snapshot into what your fertility is looking like and it's, it isn't the be-all and end-all because it tells you how many eggs you have, but you can have, you know, a low egg count and have really good quality eggs. So it doesn't it doesn't always mean that, you know, you're going to run into mm. troubles, but it's a pretty clear indication. And I think in about 2016, um, my egg reserve dropped to the level of like a 40, 45-year-old lady. So things were not looking good for me. And 
race just sort of mm. sat me down and said, look, like the one thing you've got going is your age. Um, I, I would really yep. recommend that you go ahead and do a preservation cycle to get some eggs in the freezer basically. So um, you're giving yourself the best shot of being able to conceive when you're ready. Yep. Wow. What a, how old were you then? <laughs> I was too young. <laughs> um, to I think me and Jamin had been together yeah. a year and a half, two years. So I I was twenty uh, twenty five, twenty six. Yeah. What a what a thing to hear at that age. And like as you said, you you'd only been with Jamin for not a not a long time either. Yeah. So, well, I mean, at that at that age, that you know, obviously a developed relationship. But you obviously had these conversations with him as well. So yeah talk us through that and how how he was he was with your diagnosis and um did that affect your relationship at all yeah no I mean it was really hard because we were even even though we'd been together a year or two we certainly weren't ready to you know we weren't engaged we weren't married we knew that we both wanted kids in the future so that was something that we were willing to fight for I guess and um you know it was a it was a lot for me to mentally take on because I even even after doing the IVF cycle and the freezing and whatnot, my biggest thing was I don't ever know whether I could have lived with myself if I couldn't have given Jamin a child. Because, you know, you marry someone because you think the world of them. And I just yeah. think I would have been yep. like it just would have been such a disservice to this amazing man if he couldn't, you know, have have a child. Like the world needed a mini Jamin. And that fell on me yes. and that was that was a rough few years to I don't know to have that on my shoulders and and be dealing with it all but we he was very on board us for us to go ahead and do it um we had to have a big discussion with yep. Ray um about obviously you harvest the eggs but then we had to decide um whether literally put all our eggs in the one basket and um make them all embryos mm. or whether we do half half or um and we ultimately decided to do half half just in case for whatever reason me and Jamin um broke up there was still um I guess <laughs> you know some eggs that I could have um, <laughs> for me down the track yeah yeah <laughs> yeah gosh a lot like even just having these discussions and making these decisions at such a young age when you weren't even sort of like you said ready to be having those discussions yeah. it's it's a lot like yeah and so obviously you did the embryo freezing cycle um mm. and then you and Jamin got married and obviously passionate about having children so fast forward a little bit yeah. um did you try to fall pregnant naturally initially or was this something that was completely off the table from the start um, no, it wasn't completely off the table. Ray had said to us, um, you know, and he, he was always really good in saying if we were to have a conversation about something, he would look at us and he would say, I can tell you're not ready for this. That's fine. Um, or don't do something that you're not ready to do. Um, but when we would come to him and say, you know, like this is something we're starting to really think about. And I think it was, we got married in, I'm going to say 2019. Yep. 2019. We went to him. <laughs> we went to him and sort of had said, "We're thinking, you know, we really want to start going for this." And he said, "Well, hey, like, you know, that you'll probably look to do um, maybe IVF after you're married. If you're not fussed when you have a baby, why don't you just, you know, stop trying to not have a baby and just see what happens?" And so we probably did that for the mm -hmm. year leading up to our wedding, where we um, uh, just yeah obviously didn't have any protection and 
no surprise, <laughs> no pregnancy. So, yeah. All right. So then did you then get back in contact with Ray and decide to start the IVF process? Um, I guess what did that involve um, and how were you mentally at that stage as well, knowing what that was going to involve? Yeah. Yeah. So we we'd had a discussion that so from my first um, IVF cycle back way back when in 2016, um, we managed to um, freeze five eggs, um, and then we I also had um, five eggs that we tried to make embryos, and um, two of them made it. So we had two really good grade embryos because once you start the just just a bit of um, information when you do I think I harvested eleven eggs, but they have to go through these that they have to survive the freezing process yeah. essentially and the embryos have to survive obviously the fertilisation and all that sort of jazz. So you, for the week after you um, harvest your eggs, you get these updates from Repromed saying, um, okay, we've lost an egg or this embryo didn't quite make it. Um, so, yeah, we knew we had five frozen eggs and two embryos and Ray had sort of said look like, we know that you're probably going to need IVF for whatever children you want in the future. So whilst you're still young, again, let's try another cycle. So we sort of geared up for another cycle. We decided not to do a surgery just because obviously it's not something you want to do unless you <laughs> completely have to. And my symptoms at that point yeah. in time weren't yeah. too bad. Um, so we went in and I <laughs> paid a lot of money again put myself through all these hormone treatments and injections and um, we got six eggs and um, it was a pretty harsh day actually because they called me on day five, I think it was day four or day five, to say that none of them had made it. So um, my egg quality was just oh. shattered obviously from my endo and, um, yeah, it's a pretty hard thing to take. I remember being at work and just going, I have just put my body through hell for the past couple of months, spent so much money and to get a phone call to say that it didn't work. And then the sort of nail in the coffin was that the nurse then said, oh, and we've defrosted because we'd made the decision to defrost the five eggs from 2016 um, to combine them with Jamin's Mm -hmm. sperm because we were married now. It made sense. Um, and she also said that none of those yeah. eggs survived. So I went from, you know, having quite a few options to just two embryos. Um, <laughs> and I remember oh. I actually, one of my girlfriends from work, I just burst into tears and she took me for a big walk and I was, yeah, you, you can't begin to explain the emotional, physical, mental energy that goes into these cycles and then, it either is the most elated feeling or it is just heartbreak. <laughs> yeah, and that's, you know, to just be going about a normal day at work and get a message like that and it literally controls every aspect of your life but you have zero control on the outcome. Yeah. That's what I remember feeling is, like you said, you're putting all your eggs in one basket and you just have to sit and wait and hope for the best and that lack of control and not being able to do anything and, investing so much of your yourself and your time and then being absolutely shot down I can't even begin to imagine how that must have felt like I've talked about it in the past with um you know friends how I remember thinking that you know if you want a new home or you want a new car or you want to get fit you kind of you can buckle down and you can sort of 
that's on you. So you can make those things happen if you work hard and stuff. But with infertility, it's literally you don't have any control. And I really struggled with that. Um, yeah. I think that was one of the hardest things that I had to live with sort of every single day. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. Yes, and you're spot on because you you can um, look at everything um, and and say, well, was it me? Was it something that I did? Did I, you know, like I cut out this, I cut out that, I exercised more, I, I did this a little bit less, I tried to rest, I tried to lower my stress and then it's sort of this blame game where it just all sort of cycles back to you and why you're not able to do this, you know, it's... But like you said, yeah. you, you've got, you can't, like, you could do everything under the sun and it's still, and it's still not happening. <laughs> yeah. And like, sometimes it is just, it's the way you were, you were made or the way you are. And, you know, no, no amount of trying to better yourself is going to make a difference. And that's really, that's a really tough pill to swallow. Yeah. Um, I think, yeah. All right. So. What happened after that? So you obviously decided, did you decide to use one of those frozen embryos that you had? Yeah, yeah, we did. So we actually decided after the failed IVF, um, we decided to use one of the embryos and Ray sort of said, oh, look, like, you know, I think um, let's give this our very best shot. I'm, I want to do another um, surgery. I want to make sure that everything is as good as it possibly can be. Um, and so we did another um laparoscopic surgery um just to get my you know because it can be if you have an inflammation present it can be enough to to reject the embryo mm. or to reject you know whatever's going on so we did the surgery and then um yep. I just had one round of Zolodex um which sort of puts you into this chemical form of menopause because basically we didn't I didn't Ray didn't want me to have a period in between this embryo transfer he wanted my body to be so inflammation free as what we possibly could um and so yeah we did the surgery mm -hmm. and then um we went and um you know I think it's it's all a bit of a blur I don't know whether it's an intention that popped out from my memory but I think we did um they stimulated my cycle um through hormones versus allowing my body to do it naturally um so there were a few more medications a few more injections yep. um and then You've got to go for multiple blood tests, scans throughout this four-week period um, on the lead up to the embryo transfer because obviously they need to get the timing right and to know that everything should be. Um, so I remember, you know, being at work and getting a call like, you need to come tomorrow at 7 a.m. for bloods and scans. So I'd be rushing the, to the other side of the city at 7 a.m. and then I'd have to come back to work for 8 a.m. start. Then I'd be at work to 8 p.m. and then I'd get another call saying things still aren't right. You need to come back tomorrow at 7 a.m. and just that in itself is, you know, it's a it's a lot to juggle. But we got yeah. there in the end, and um, you, we went in, and we the embryo transfer itself is actually so simple and straightforward. And um, you know, they said we had a really really good graded embryo. Um, and I don't know, it was this strange feeling. You know, it's it's exactly how they say they put the em, you know, they obviously pop the embryo where it needs to be, and then. She literally mm. had to say, don't worry, you can go about your normal life because you just sort of feel like you want to sit down. Like if you move or if you go to the bathroom, you'll lose the embryo. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, it's like, you know, people who <laughs> are trying to conceive and you yeah. see those memes of them like with their legs, legs in up, the air yeah. after having sex. I, like, I still to went home. Keep and, those spermies in there. Yeah, I still went home and stayed on the couch and did yeah. not move a muscle. I think I used it 
you know, to my advantage and just made Jamin wait on me hand and foot, even though I didn't want to. <laughs> oh, absolutely. I would have too. Yeah. It's, um, and you would like, you would like you, you know, if that's all that you can do, then of course you're going to, to do that. Yeah. Like, yeah. 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 And then sort of once the embryos transferred, then it's the two week wait and that is hell on earth. And there is no other word mm. to describe how you function during that, those two weeks. I, yeah. <laughs> I don't think time yeah. has ever gone slower. <laughs> no. And then, like, you know, when I was going through it, I remember being in so many groups on Facebook um, mm-hmm. and everyone was the same in that two-week wait. Everyone was posting about the, yeah, the anxiety and the, yeah, the time literally stopping. Yeah. I um, yeah. I, re- I remember them saying, you know, basically you wait and you either get your period and it didn't work or you get to, I think, it, what is it, day is it day 11 or day 12? I, I can't even remember now. Um, and if you make it that far without yeah. a sign of a period, you go for a blood test. And I remember um, the first, um, you know, the first two-week wait that I that I did, I had this severe cramping and I just remember thinking, I'm getting my period, this hasn't worked. And this is all while trying to, I'm a dental hygienist, so I see patients, obviously, and I have to strike up conversation and be this, happy-go-lucky person Mm -hmm. and it just was such a mental struggle for me because I had so much going on in my mind but then I was having to show up to work every day and ultimately yes it was a good distraction but I remember I think it was in the first or the second week my sister was one of the patients and I shut the you know I was happy as Larry with my patient before shut the door and I just bawled and I said I can't do this I can't function I can't I'd like so much of my time and effort yeah. has gone into this and this is either going to be you know wonderful or it's I don't know how I'm going to recover from it you know either way <laughs> and a lot of that is having you know a lot of that is having not being able to even really talk about it I think so you do you do just put on this brave face and show up but that like people, no one knows what you're going through behind the scene and I think that's a lot but, you know, I guess that's the whole everyone has a story and not to, and to be kind and stuff because you just don't know what people are experiencing. Yeah. But the men, like you said, the mental load, and that's all you can think about. But, yeah, having to talk about such ma- mundane things while mm. you're, you know, your whole life is literally hanging in the balance. Yeah. Well, you know, you know, well, it is. Your, your ch- the, the future of your children is literally hanging. Yeah. It, it consumes and you've just every gotta, part of yeah, your life. Show up and, yeah. Yeah, and that's why I find, like, it's really hard when people say, you know, to have patience or to stop stressing when you're trying to conceive. Um, it doesn't work. No, 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 <laughs> no matter how much you, um, you, you know, no matter how calm, like, A, it doesn't work, and B, it's so hard to have patience and to stop stressing when this is your whole life. Like, how, yeah, that yeah. just frustrates me when people say that. Yeah. Like, yeah, sure, I'll just put that to the back of my mind, even though it's absolutely everything to me and if it was that easy we would just all do it and all have as many children as we want and yeah. it wouldn't be a problem <laughs> exactly yeah. yeah yeah I'm glad that you had your sister because you you do need someone that you can be raw and vulnerable with and trying yeah. to hold up hold up a brave face and put that mask on every day it becomes really really hard and um it's really lonely so um, yeah absolutely. yeah and then obviously, what happened? You got the news. Yes. Yeah. So I must have, I made it to the day of my bloods, which 
Um, and actually, interestingly, during this transfer, I I wasn't a part of any group. I did I did the second time around, but this transfer I wasn't. So I was just sort of really um, I, I didn't know too much, which maybe worked in my favour, I guess. And I I hadn't really felt too many yep. symptoms. I hadn't read into anything too much, but I thought, oh well, you know, like I haven't got my period yet. So off I sort of I think I was at Repromed's door at seven a.m. as early as I could get there for the blood test and. She's the nurse said to me, she's like, have you done a pregnancy test at home? And I said, no, because I've heard that there could be false negatives, false positives. And I just didn't want to put myself through that. So um, we, I went and did the blood test and then um, I happened to be with my sister um, and my husband. Um, and they usually say they're really good. They call you back by about lunchtime. And it was interesting just prior to getting the phone call, yep. I went to the bathroom and um, you know how you get with pregnancy sometimes and particularly when you're first pregnant, pregnant like that real urgency when you need to go to the bathroom and it just felt like um, I had like a full bladder but I didn't and it felt mm. really strange and I'm like, what's like going on here? But And then I got the phone call and she just said, um, like I still remember I was sitting in the car and she said like, congratulations, you're pregnant. Um, and I remember my sister and my husband didn't even know that I'd taken Yay. that phone call. Yeah. And they, um, I just sat in the car for a couple of minutes, just going, I can't believe this has worked. Like, I cannot believe I'm pregnant. And yeah. I got to go out there and tell them and I, yeah. And my parents were overseas. So I called them at like 5am and woke them up and I actually hadn't told them I was getting my embryo transferred because I know my parents and I knew that they would not be enjoying themselves overseas so um I actually said to them that it had been delayed so the two weeks from when the embryo was and I'm very close with my parents so this was a big deal and the two week wait I sort of did without letting them know how I was going because they didn't even know that I'd had the embryo transferred so um we got to call them and let them know and yeah and then they just said okay well we'll see you at your seven week six seven week scan to make sure there's heartbeat and we go from there so yeah gosh how exciting and like how and how special telling your parents that news as well after they had no idea I bet they were absolutely thrilled and over the moon yeah yeah that's so lovely of you to do that you're so selfless it's beautiful (laughs) and yeah I know you're very close with your family so that would have been hard too for you and especially when you do like your mum would have been a big support for you as well like an emotional and mental support for you so yeah, that um, yeah, to not yeah. be able to talk to her through that two week wait, yeah, <laughs> would have been, yeah, would have been difficult. I bet. Yeah, yeah. yeah. All right, so your daughter is Hazel. Um, she is now. How old is she now? She will actually be two in a couple of weeks. So she is. Yeah. Yeah. She's oh, she's two going adorable. on twelve. So. <laughs> yeah, typical girl. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> I'm in a bit of trouble. I think. Um, yeah. <laughs> Um, so I'm going to quickly touch on this because it is part of your journey. So you then unfortunately sort of moved into the medical world, um, and at a young age, Hazel was diagnosed with, I think she was diagnosed with laryngomalacia, dysphagia and sleep apnea, but correct me if I'm wrong. Did you sort of at that point just like ask the universe seriously, what the hell? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So I think, um, well, she, she was about six or seven weeks old when I found her cyanotic and I, and that obviously is what began the process of all her diagnosis. And, you know, it's still ongoing in terms of um, her aspiration and 
her floppy little airways causing a few dramas, but she's not on oxygen anymore, but she didn't come off oxygen. Oh, I'm thinking she was 16, 17 months old. So it was a long slog. Um, Mm. And, you know, like I don't have to tell you, (laughs) well, you know, what all of it's like, but Mm. I, I think, you know, the thing is with infertility, you're not just pregnant for nine months. It's, this whole situation that you have to go through leading up to the pregnancy that's exhausting, then the pregnancy itself is exhausting, and then to sort of go through the trauma that mm. we went through with Hayes because it, it it was trauma. It was it wasn't a nice experience um, as a first time mum, but you know I just yeah. always went to sleep going I'm just lucky. She's she's going to be fine. She's um you know, I'm one of the lucky ones and that's just what we kept telling ourselves and um, just, you know, yeah, kept putting one foot in front of the other, I guess. <laughs> yeah, and I guess in, in a way, um, in a cruel way, it sort of gives you this, that perspective of, yeah, you know, we very, we very easily couldn't have had this little girl, um, but at the same time you don't want to downplay what you're going through and it's yeah. real and it's, like you said, it's exhausting and it's constant so you've, you've never really had a chance to stop yeah. with this anxiety and this constant mental load. Um, yeah. I'm, I'm, you've never had a chance to sort of grieve what you've been through. Yeah. yeah. I remember when we got sent home from the hospital the first time she went in and they hadn't really died. I think the speechy was the one that picked up her aspiration and they sent us home under a brew, which is a brief resolved unexplained event. And um, they said, oh, well, we just don't expect that it will happen again. And I kept saying, but how, like, what happens if it does? Like, can I use anything? What do you think of the sleep mats? What do you think of the outlets? And they just kept saying, no, 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 no. And I remember getting home and again to my sister and my mom, common theme here, and my husband and my dad was there. And I just bawled because I said, how am I meant to sleep a wink? How am I meant to let this child go to yeah. sleep without me watching her every move? Because I knew I still knew yeah. something wasn't right because that's your, your intuition. It just tells you. And I, by the next mm-hmm. night, we were back in hospital because she'd turned blue again. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And like having been through what you've been through, that fear, I mean, there's always that fear of losing your child as a oh, mother, absolutely. obviously. Yeah. But you worked so hard to get yeah. that little girl earth side. And I, as a nurse, I've seen, um, sort of in patients' notes on handover sheets, I've seen nurses commenting about how they make a note that, that the baby, like the baby, obviously I work with children, so the baby, the patient in the hospital, um, was conceived through IVF. It's almost like people are like, oh, you know, IVF mums are really anxious and we have to, they're, they're, they're a little bit harder yeah. and they're, they, they're stressing all the time. And I'm like, so they bloody should, like, yeah. What would you do if you had an unwell child that you'd spent so many years working to get her side? It really, it really upsets me when I, even when I get a handover and they're like, oh, the mum's anxious because the baby's an IVF baby. I was like, no, stop right there. Yeah. Like until you have been in that situation, you have no idea and you can't judge. No. We, we didn't even, we're not, not IVF babies myself, but, you know, we struggled to get both of our boys and I'm that I'm that mum, and I tell I tell the nurses that now I'm like, you know what? When I'm in hospital, I'm that mum because I am terrified of losing my child, and so is every every parent. Like it's just yeah, putting that label on people. It just yeah, and I understand that it's important as a medical history, but it really frustrates me when it's then taken to that next level. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, yeah, it has absolutely nothing to do with the reasons 
you know, you're in hospital because you've got an unwell child or something doesn't feel right, regardless of, mm. you know, the history of that child or that mother. There's, you know, you, knowing mm. being in hospitals, um, the last thing you want to feel is that you're a hypochondriac. So that's not helpful at all. And then that makes you question yourself, which can be yeah, so dangerous. No. Yeah, and then you start, I remember in the past I've been like, oh, my gosh, that nurse was really taken aback by me. And then you sort of fall back on advocating because you're worried about what everyone else is going to think, and that's awful. Like I remember sitting there and not not, not having a voice because I was like, well, I don't want to say anything because the nurse is going to start talking about me being the annoying mum that's hard work. It's really, yeah. Yeah. I actually yeah. had we shouldn't we shouldn't be put in that position at all. No, I had a, we had an amazing nurse in the ED the first time we presented and she must have seen that we were first time parents and that you know the situation and and what had happened to Hazel and um she said just can you do me one favor can you please make sure that you do not stop advocating you need to advocate really loudly for your child you are her only voice please do not leave this hospital until you have an answer for your Aww. baby. And I think she could see the vulnerability in me and Jamin and um, just wanted to really give us that encouragement that we were doing the right thing, we were in the right place and no matter what anyone said, like, you know, it was our job to be be the protector for our baby and she really gave us, I'll never forget that nurse, she was, yeah, she was unbelievable, yeah. Yeah. That makes me want to cry, like that actually makes me want to cry because I have, as a nurse now that's been on the other side, um, I have said that to a mum. Mm. I said, if you don't get the answers that you want here today, you make sure you go to your GP and you get a referral to a private EMT. Yeah. And, you know, technically I shouldn't be saying this stuff. Yeah. But I could, I knew, I could hear, I could hear the laryngomalacia in this baby and I had, I had advocated to the doctors. I'd done everything I could as a nurse, but so often they just, oh, they'll grow out of it. Like it's, that's, that's you know... They, it, it just gets swept under the table and I said to, yeah I said the same thing to this mum that you know because I've been in that situation and if I didn't if someone hadn't told me to advocate and to follow my gut then I would have yeah I wouldn't have got answers either so yeah if you're a nurse listening take this advice <laughs> yeah it's um yeah. it can make the world of difference and like you said simply to your mental health like being heard after everything you've been through like just it, it just takes that weight off your shoulders and you go okay I'm doing the, the right, right thing, thing, you know, yeah. yeah. All right, we're sort of going to fast, we could talk all day. Yes. Yeah, I know. Fast forward <laughs> to um, today. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, as you said, Hazel is now almost two and she yeah. recently came off oxygen. Well, it seems recent. I feel like that uh, that post that you shared was recent, but it, it's not really. I think How it was September, October. So I think she's been off O2 for almost five, six months now. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, but I mean, where does time go? No one knows. So it feels yeah, like I remember being so excited. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it was a good day. Yeah, exactly. Good day. <laughs> yeah. Um, but unfortunately, the infertility journey has never really stopped, as you've constantly struggled with trying to control what you describe as a fairly rogue uterus. <laughs> this is obviously this is still very raw and real, and at the moment, you're um, you've been sort of left heartbroken, from what I understand, with mm. that last that last cycle. Um, If you feel up to it, would you mind talking us through what's happened there? Yeah, sure. So after obviously giving birth to Hazel, um, you know, you're, I think Hazel, well, I don't think I know, Hazel was born in April and I think it took me about 12 weeks to start getting some form of a cycle and um, I'd 
sort of bleed on and off and but nothing you know nothing outrageous and I think I think it was about late July or early August I just went in had routine bloods my iron everything was fine nothing to worry about and then all of a sudden I just started developing this really um like heavy period which wasn't unusual for me and because of obviously you know my endo and whatnot so I didn't really think too much of it and then a couple of weeks passed and I went to the doc uh to one of the, um, not race, or I went to a regular GP and just sort of said, look, I'm experiencing this really heavy bleeding. She said, oh, it can be quite common, your first period, you know, post having a baby. I wouldn't worry too much about it. And I thought, okay. And so another week went by and it started just escalating and escalating. And we went away for the long weekend and um, we were down Yorks. And just to give you a little, you know, it's probably too much information, but I would easily go through, not go through, soak through, um, up to 10, 12 super tampons a day um, to the point that I would go pop one in. Um, by the time I'd get back out to the lounge room to sit down, I remember one day we were playing um, Monopoly Deal or something. Um, I'd already soaked through, so it was two minutes gone. Um, oh, gosh. Yeah, yeah, and then the last day I sort of, you know, lost a heavy amount of blood in the shower and it's like, this isn't right. So I went to my GP and um, another GP and he was amazing and he sat and he listened and I was, was sort of explaining the amount of blood loss and the size of the clots that I was losing and he said no this isn't right um he ordered me some blood tests to check on obviously like my iron and my hemoglobin and I went for that test that more uh, the next morning um and he called me at 7 p.m that night and said I've been given like this urgent review for your bloods he's like your hemoglobin is 85 and your iron stores are six. Um, he said, are you feeling okay? Are you symptomatic? He said, if you're symptomatic, you should probably present to an ED right now because you are losing a lot of blood. <laughs> um, and to have a hemoglobin yeah. store of 85 means you qualify for a blood transfusion, which is pretty huge. Um, so yeah. he obviously contacted Ray. Um, and Ray booked me in and I was in hospital the next night. Um, they sort of didn't really know at that point what was going on. Um, so they went in, did a hysteroscopy, which sort of just like scraped the lining of the uterus. I'm not entirely sure. Um, and then put me on transemic acid yeah. tablets yep. and Zolodex. I'm not even sure if I was put on Zolodex straight away. Um, and then it worked initially. And then six weeks later, my bleeding came back super heavy again so I had to go in for another emergency hysteroscopy and that's when we sort of started chatting about you know it probably being the adenomyosis which had never really been a huge issue for me but it's quite common um that it can become problematic after things like a c-section and whatnot so um and my uterus volume was um 170 and I think it's meant to be 100 um, so during these times I was having to go for scans so they could check mm. things out and I remember getting up and I'd like bled all over the table there was even blood in my shoes there was I was literally hemorrhaging um gosh Liz yeah and Ray had mm. sort of said you know like um the Zolodex wasn't an ideal option but it was sort of the only option that we have we had because with um I don't know myosis the only cure is a hysterectomy and he's like well obviously we don't want to do that for you just yet. So we have to try and control this bleeding. Um, and then that sort of really far, I mean, at the time, Hazel was still on oxygen. There was still a lot going on in terms of what she needed, but we mm -hmm. sort of knew we had to press go on trying to conceive our second because my body was going to get to a point where it was, that choice was going to be taken away from me because if I kept bleeding, they were going to yeah. have to take my uterus. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. 
Gosh, I yeah. had no idea all of this yeah. had happened. I'm so sorry. I, yeah, I can't even imagine, especially like you said, with everything, having a having a young child that's also going through all this medical stuff far out. Yeah. Um, right, so then did they? Did it ever really get under control, yeah, the bleeding? Yeah, it did. And did you have a transfusion? Uh, so they had the blood on, so they had um, my type of blood ready to go at the time of the surgery, um, but they sort of came to the decision that because they found the source of the bleeding that they were really confident that after the procedure yep. it was going to stop. Um, and um, I think, I can't remember whether it was Ray or the anaesthetist sort of said, we, we're really hesitant on doing these blood transfusions on um, young people because it can mean that you can become, uh, yeah. what's the word? Um, more likely to reject it when you need it later on in life. Um, and so they just did yeah, an iron resistant. infusion. Resistant, that's the word. Um, so they just did an iron infusion yeah. um, for me. when. So when I woke up in recovery, they already had the iron going through. So um, and that and it worked yeah. and I stayed. So we had to do the Zolodect, um, which is basically an injection that goes into your belly um, every four weeks. And we had to do that. Um, until my uterus got to an okay size. Um, so we wanted the Zolodex to help shrink my uterus so it could be, I guess, compatible with carrying a healthy baby. Um, mm -hmm. And so yeah. we did get to that point, um, which was really good. And um, I went through the process of getting my cycle stimulated again because obviously I'd been on the Zolodex. Um, and this time around we decided to do some intralipid infusions as well. Um, which was recommended by Repromed. Um, so that was also included where you'd go in. I think it took about two or three, two or three hours where they just um, pop it through your vein and it's quite straightforward, but it's meant to um, help your yeah. body not fight off the embryo. Um, and there's been excellent studies overseas which just show it reduces the chance of miscarriage. So it was all really good. And um, we went for the embryo transfer and it was just a, you know, you don't know what embryologist or I'm not even actually sure that that's the right term and um, what specialist is going to do the embryo transfer yep. for you. But just by um, just by luck, it was the same lady who had transferred Hazel. So we thought this is a really good sign. Mm -hmm. um, they said that the embryo yep. was looking really good. It had even started growing overnight during the defrost, which is a really good sign. And mm. They, yeah, yeah, we did the embryo transfer and this two-week wait just was a lot different for me. I knew too much, I think, and um, my last embryo transfer, mm. I was experiencing really significant cramping, which was actually implantation. Um, and this time around, I remember going, yeah. oh, last time I felt this and I felt this and I'm not feeling it and I'm not feeling it. And I tried not to think yeah. about it too much. I'd also just started a new job, I think, so I was sort of trying to juggle that and obviously no one there knew what I was doing or you know what was going on in my personal life yeah. which was also really hard um but the two-week wait I did join um a support page one of the Adelaide-based ones and it was amazing um but I sort of also learned that at about uh eight nine days post five-day uh embryo you can do a test and I was umming and ahhing I'm like no Liv just wait to the bloods and then I knew I didn't have a trigger injection, so I knew I wasn't going to get a false positive. And I just dropped Hazel at childcare and I hopped back in the car and had to like reach for my water bottle because I just got this huge wave of nausea um, and it felt like I needed to vomit. And so um, 
that to me, I was like, oh, something could be going on. And I started to, you know, get this real positive feeling that, you know, something was happening for that to, you know, for me to feel that way. And I was just going for a walk with one of my best friends and we were walking to a coffee shop and um, I got in the coffee store and I was telling her on the walk how I was thinking about doing a pregnancy test. This was day nine or day 10, I think. And um, she said, oh, my God, a birth food on you. And that sounds when you're doing a process like this, you look out for signs. It sounds ridiculous. But I was like, this is meant to be good luck. I was just talking about it. I've just had this wave of nausea. Like the universe is telling me go home, do a test. And so I did. And my husband Mm. was just, Damon, he was just about to leave for um, an overnight work trip. Um, And so I thought, what the heck, I'll just do it. And I did, and I got two lines, and I just thought straight away I got Jamin in, I showed him, I said, like, you won't believe this, like, we've done it again. I I felt sick this morning, you know. Um, yeah, so that was obviously amazing, and I think that was maybe on the – I think I was going to work, so that was on the Tuesday. Um, and I actually stayed up at my parents' on the Tuesday and Wednesday yep. just for company while Jamin was away. and. Um, Wednesday um, I did a test and it was the same so the line wasn't any darker like it was still just as it was the day before which was it was I wouldn't say that it was faint faint but it wasn't a strong line I remember showing it to my sister and she was like yeah like that's really good and I didn't test on Thursday because I just didn't think it was worth it and so Friday was my blood day and I went in and she said, have you tested? And I said, yeah, like I've got a, pre- a positive pregnancy test and I didn't do any trigger injections. And she was like, well, I'm sure we're going to be calling you with some good results um, later on today. And I was actually at a friend's house having a coffee and I got the phone call and it just took me so off guard. She said, I'm so sorry, like your levels are only, I think they were, God, like 15, 16. And she said, this just isn't compatible <laughs> with, you know, um yeah with life basically and she said I'm so sorry and I I remember bursting obviously out in tears on the phone and it's just the most surreal thing she said you know like make have you got someone around you I said yes and she said please make sure you seek counseling if you need and that was the end of the phone conversation and then I had to you know call my mom call my sister call my dad call my husband Jamin had to come home from work straight away and it yeah it's just amazing where your mind goes in those 48 hours when you think that you know I was starting we've got a two-bedroom home me and Jamin were talking about how we were going to make that work and my sister had calculated that the due date was going to be the 20th of July this year and um you know I started thinking about Hazel and all the wonderful ways you know that she got to be a big sister and which is what's the most important thing to me and um, and, you know, people might look at that and go, oh, well, you know, you're just yep. opening yourself up for heartache. Why would you calculate these things? Why? I think my mum had even bought a little teddy for um, for us, um, for the baby. Yeah. But when you go through IVF and you fall pregnant or you get those two lines, like that's a big thing. And if you don't celebrate those big things, then why are you doing it? <laughs> yeah, and, like, it's it's your ho- the hopes and dreams of the future. Like, it's not – and you don't expect – especially like you'd gotten the positive pregnancy test. You don't expect to get that phone call. Like you don't. You just, of course, you're going to be positive and 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 be hopeful and celebrate that. Like you said, after everything you've been through, of course you are going to yeah. um, build up all that excitement. And then it, like how quickly that came crashing down. Like it is, yeah, it, I, mm. 
And then um, that's yeah, the I'm thing. So sorry, because that was was that quite recent? Um, yeah, it was in November, I think November last year. But it just for me, it was like a year of putting my body through hell. And until you do it, you can't fully yeah. understand. You know, I'd had I'd gone, um, and I had three surgeries. I had you know, being in a chemically induced form of menopause had its own side effects. Um, weight fluctuation, mood changes. I was getting really bad joint pain, joint stiffness, like there was a lot going on in my body. I, you know, the time and effort and the the mental side of things was huge. So, you know, I think I remember reading somewhere that it's not just, it's not just a negative pregnancy test or it's not just a negative blood test. It, it's, you can't just try again next month. It, it wasn't like, okay, well, I've just been knocked off the horse. I'm just going to get back up and keep going like for us yeah that you know where to from now is such a huge thing to contemplate and it it's it's not like we have the ability to just try every month it's so so much more in depth and yeah and uh, it can't be explained I don't think (laughs) I honestly feel like it's a form of grief and it is Mm. you are grieving because that was for you mentally that was your last chance and that felt like your your last big hope and for that to now be to be gone and to like you said think contemplate what you do next and where that what that looks like no one can understand that unless they've you know walked and even then they can't understand your journey so the embryos those two embryos it sounds so silly but obviously they were frozen since 2014 so you know you pay um the storage fees for those so since 2014 we've been in this ongoing process planning for this exact moment and it sounds stupid but every time we'd drive past Repromed it was always this joke we would wave and say like we'd always say like hi to our babies because our babies were there you know the embryo represents so much more than just a failed transfer it represents like everything that we went through and that I put my body through and you know like I also felt really sorry for my husband Jamin as well because I felt like a lot of the attention post the the negative outcome was on me and I think um, a lot of people forget the grief that can happen, you know, with the husbands as well because, you know, he kept saying like I, I, you know, I, I have personally never seen him struggle so much and then that was hard on me because I knew that, you know, like if he was maybe with someone different, he wouldn't, he'd have four kids by now and a minivan (laughs) but he's with me and so he's riding these emotions with me you know and but that yeah you know it it comes obviously I want obviously I want as many children as what I want for me but I also want it for my husband and you know I want it for Hazel like I remember you know some days I think oh I'm I'm okay I'm, I'm okay and then like the other day I was in Burnside and I just saw this mum with her two little girls and I I honestly, I just, I don't know why that particular moment got to me, but I just thought, mm. I want to be that mum. I want to be the mum that has the two little girls and, I, and I'm and i not going yeah. to be. And I think also too, like my daughter Hazel is um, reported from childcare that she's obsessed with the baby room. She's obsessed with the babies. And I just know how great of a big sister she'll be. Well, she would have been. And also too like I'm so close my sister's my best friend and you know I know that Hazel won't know any different but I know you know and so that's something that I've got to come to terms with 
a little bit myself, I think, is that, like, you know, and one of the really good things, and I don't think you can find yourself, I could have found myself a better specialist. He messaged me within half an hour of the results coming through that day to say that he was sorry that it hadn't worked. And then I got a phone call from him at five o'clock that night. He was on his, this is Ray, on his way home from work. And we had about a 20, 25 minute conversation. He just said, how are you feeling? What are you thinking from here? And we had a big open chat and he just sort of said to me like, you know, like take time, think about what it is that you want. And at the end of the day, like a lot of us can get caught up in wanting more and more and more, but we're not actually fully focused and grateful for what we have in front of us. And he just sort of said, you know, I've been with you for a long time now and I've seen how much you've gone through and, you know, maybe it's time just to sit back and enjoy what you have and don't worry so much about what you don't. And it's easier said than done, but I got exactly the sentiment that he was, you know, saying and I I don't mm. know if I told him but yeah. I appreciated that call so much because it really helped me sort of digest everything that was going on and I felt like, well, you know what, like I feel like I should keep going on this process and I should try for another round and I should do this because, you know, I owe it to Hazel and I owe it to Jamin but, you know, it's okay if I just want to take a break. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. And that's the thing, like as much, you know, like you were saying about Jamin and everyone, all of your family, because you're so close with them, they are so heavily invested in, in your journey as well yeah. um, and how deeply they feel everything that you're going through. Um, they ride the waves. They feel all of the emotions that you're feeling. It's, uh, but yeah, you've got, you're the one that's doing, you know, having all that extra physical yeah. stuff. on top and like you said it is I know I know that you feel so you probably have this sense of responsibility and like you said that you're the one that's not giving him all the all the children but you're you do need to give yourself some some grace and um give yourself um some kindness because you have done what you have done is beyond above and beyond what anyone could even understand and comprehend and you should be so proud of the way that you, you're such a, like, a, yeah, you're such a bright, positive light despite all of this going on constantly in the background. Like, I don't know, I don't want to say I don't know how you do it because I, I know that that's a big slap in the face because you just have to. Yeah. But the way you show up and the, yeah, you're, you, my, our friend Emma Potter, yeah. <laughs> shout out Emma, um, I talked to her about interviewing you today yeah. and she said, because I was nervous about having yeah. this chat with you. And yeah. she said, Liv is just such a ray of positivity. She'll get you through. I'm like, I shouldn't be. I shouldn't be the yeah. one that's needing to get through this interview. I should be the one support- no. <laughs> supporting Liv. But I love that Emma just, Emma was the same. She knows that you're just such, this. Oh, yeah, you so just much. radiate such beautiful, warm energy. And like to then to hear what you've been through, and I'm like, how yeah <laughs> how are you such a beautiful bubbly person <laughs> like yeah, yeah it's a credit to you, you yeah yeah I don't know that sounds awful like I don't you, no. no one wants to be negative all the time and but yeah allow yourself to you have to allow yourself to grieve and to bloody angry and pissed off at the universe sometimes yeah. like it's not fair no and I mean I am yeah. you know probably and I do always try and have a positive outlook but it's probably a big shout out to Jamin to be honest because 
there's a lot of emotions yeah. that come with all the treatments that I've been through and you know some days I'm not the best version of myself and he is always there to pick me back up and sometimes I just hope that you know I can, I'm being that person for him and that he has the right support around him too because yeah. I know that females don't tend to struggle too much talking about well I mean even we do really you know infertility it's you there's so much celebration that happens when one falls pregnant but then the net just disappears if it doesn't work out and where where do you go to from there like yeah and I just I I hope that also you know like he's been through a lot too with me that um I hope that he is you know having good conversations with his mates about this too because I just think it's important (laughs) yeah and I remember that with Scott like we were quite open and we spoke a lot we obviously had to because we didn't share it with many other people and no one I don't think anyone even your closest family and friends can understand apart from like I found that Scott was the only one that truly deeply felt how I felt and understand the emotions and stuff that came with it but at the same time they do you know, when I would go and talk to my girlfriends, I was the same. I was hoping that he was, you know, having some outlet. And that's why I, I think football was Scott's outlet. I think yeah. he just got out and tackled people. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Didn't want to be his opposing But player. I wanted to say, like, I, you know, me saying that you're such a, you know, bright, positive ray of light, I do want to – I, I shouldn't – you know, I remember people saying that to me and it kind of annoyed me, so I'm sorry if that came across the wrong way. But, you know, that whole – I remember going, oh, I didn't even know you put on such a brave face. Um, and I remember that almost was like a slap in the face because I'm like, yeah, because you don't see the stuff that goes on behind the scenes and you do just cover it up. Um, even though, like, I was, I'd be on the verge of tears multiple times with conversations, like, and literally stopping myself from crying. And I've just got this smile that is so fake. And I remember smiling and in the back of my mind going, I'm, I don't want to be here. I don't want to be having this conversation. Yeah. And I think that's the reality of it is that, you, you know, it's it's similar with so much stuff that we talk about on this podcast that you do just put on this face and this mask and you get on with life because you have to. But um, there is a lot that goes on behind the scenes that we don't see. And unfortunately, like you said, Liv, infertility yeah. is not spoken about enough. Yeah. Um, and it is a real taboo subject. I think we're getting better. I think social media um, has helped with that. People are being raw and sharing their stories. And we have these awareness days now where people are opening up and speaking about it, but we still have such a long way to go. Um, yeah. I think we, we yeah. all, that's the thing with social um, media. And sometimes people say, oh, my goodness, like you're so good or you're, or you're so brave or like why do you share all that you share? And I just think, well, because like why wouldn't you? You know, like I, I'm someone who I just get so much back from being open about what's going on with me. And, and even like throughout my whole endo journey, the amount of people that have received a diagnosis from me reading something that I've written or like the amount of people that have gone and seen Ray and, you know, like I just keep thinking if I hadn't been open and honest and transparent about everything going on, like what, where would these girls be now? And, you know, it's just, it, yeah, yeah like for me it's a it's a no-brainer just to keep the conversation going and you know and maybe it is a th- form of therapy yeah. for me to get it out there to the universe to just be like you know sometimes it isn't always what it seems and I you know there's days that I'm fine yeah. and other days that things catch up with me and I'm not and that's okay too so um it just all depends what frame of mind I yeah. wake up with and 
even there can be little things watching my little girl with yeah. my niece triggered <laughs> being at Burnside seeing a mum with two girls triggered yeah. friends having pregnancy announcements triggered yeah <laughs> and it's everywhere like mm. it's everywhere it's not something you can hide from like it's not like no. you can just avoid certain places there are people with babies there are people pregnant there are people with children everywhere it's not yeah. something that you can just hide away from for a little while or switch off from it is in your face every yeah. single day and you're not you don't know when that's going to smack you in the face it's like you said it's so random yeah um but it is there and it's constant and yeah you can't turn it off no. yeah <laughs> and it is like that's the thing with sharing on social media I know that some people are like oh they're just doing it for attention and yeah. it's selfish and it really grinds my gears because it is the complete opposite of that and like you said reaching reaching out and sharing your story is it is in a way it is selfish for me because it is therapy for me and if yeah. I don't write I don't cope yeah that's a, that's that that is my coping mechanism and the reason I share that with the world is like you said, is that then it can help someone else because yeah. there is, especially infertility. Um, I think we've come a long way with a lot of other stuff like, the, you know, the primary birth and um, yeah. medically complex kids. I think there's a lot more, but infertility is still so far behind. Yeah. Same with miscarriage and announcing your pregnancy only at 12 weeks, all of those things, it is still so far behind. And the more people that do it, the more that we, we are reaching and the more that are feeling like they can open up and share and same with you Liz. I've told so many people (laughs) about Ray yeah (laughs) um and I've with my uterus my uterus condition how I was quite I was misdiagnosed as having a heart-shaped uterus and it ended up being quite a severe septum down the middle of my uterus I've had people reach out to me and get second opinions because they've and then they've ended up being misdiagnosed exactly the same. So like you said, if, even if you're just reaching one person and it helps them, it's so worth it. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So I guess you said that you joined a few, a couple of Facebook groups. Yeah. How did you find that? I, I, I kind of, I guess I'm wanting to know where you sort of found your support. It sounds like you had a lot of supports in your family, which is amazing. Mm-hmm. Um, and I hope that most people do have the support of their yeah. family and then, non-judgmental way yeah um I found groups quite confronting to be honest like especially the infertility and I um I didn't join IVF groups but um a lot of grief and a lot of loss and um yeah a lot of negativity in a way which is it is what it is and but I was almost looking to those groups to find um a little bit of positivity in, in a sense and and the and the hope and the and the success stories. But where did you find your support? Did you reach out into any sort of organisations online or? No, I mean I'm also I'm a lot of my support came from my close friends, and I and I didn't shy away from letting them know what I was going through, and like in in the sense that we were going to try again for another embryo transfer, and oh, I'm in my two week wait because I just I couldn't stand like why wouldn't I tell them you know like I, I it's this thing where people are trying to fall pregnant and they wait to 12 weeks and I've just sort of gotten to the point where you know if if you're thinking about pregnancy and 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 you're wanting to go down that path and it is it even when you do fall pregnant for those first 12 weeks it can be an anxious time wondering you know am I going to get to the 12 week mark what, what are my scans going to be like and I just think it's an important time to have people be aware of what you're going through um, either either end of the spectrum just to mm. be there to help you out because like we said talking is what is a therapy it's a form of therapy so I had all, all, yeah. of, all of my friends yeah. knew so I was that they were really good and 
checked in on me regularly and um, caught up for walks, coffees, all those sorts of things. And then obviously my family, the support groups on Facebook. Look, if I were to do it again, I probably wouldn't actually join one of them um, only because yeah. I think yeah. it just got in my head too much. And I, I think I actually posted the photo of my positive pregnancy test being like, is what is like, is there any way this could be like, you know, a mistake or, and everyone was like, congratulations, no harm, that's a positive. Those are two really strong lines, like how wonderful. And which is obviously good, but it's also, you know, it, it also, would have I taken an early pregnancy test if I wasn't a part of that group? But then again, like that's my story. Mm, like I, yeah, it, it was a chemical pregnancy and I, I still would have found out that my levels were, you know, not zero. So yeah, I, I would just, for me, it was my friends yeah. and family and maybe the support pages just led me down a few too many. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> let my mind holes. wander. Yeah. yeah. Which is hard because you do want, you do want to find people that are going through what you're going through. Um, but I do feel like it can sort of lead you down a rabbit hole and it can be almost a little bit triggering as well. Um, especially seeing all the different journeys and feeling like, yeah, it's, it's really hard. I'm yeah. you know, even trying not to compare to other people and stuff. Mm. Um, cause infertility is such a unique personal Individual. journey yeah. and, and I remember sort of sitting in the waiting room. So this is my first appointment. I've been referred to Repromed. And I remember yeah. sitting in the waiting room and like literally surrounded by other infertile women. Like, yeah. the, you know, there would have been 10 of us sitting there and we were all just sort of head down. And I, I still felt so alone. Like I remember I yeah. kind of choke up now talking about it because I, I, was, I had my head down and I had tears rolling down my eyes because I'm like, there's all yeah. these people that are going through this with us. But. I still feel like I'm the only person in the world that is doing this. And yeah, yeah. so, yeah. The second time around when I had to attend some visit, I would I, I would get Hazel looked after to go to Repromed because I just couldn't bring myself to go into those front doors with my daughter because I just felt like that would have been such a trauma for some people to see me there with my child, you know, like because. Until you've walked yeah. through those doors, you yeah. just don't the, understand. Those things. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Um, I think we'll stop there or else we'll be yeah. here for another hour. Yeah. But um, thank you, Liv, okay. so much. Gosh, this is uh, – I was so nervous about this and it's been completely fine. It's been like having a chat with an old friend. Yeah. Thank um, you so much So for thank you for coming on and opening up. And I wish you so much love, support, luck, all of yeah. that for um, the rest of your journey and – um, if any of our listeners, if you're experiencing any of this, um, yeah, reach out to us, send us a message and we will get back to you. But thanks, Liv. It's, Thank um, we've, we've, we had to do three goes at getting this done. <laughs> <laughs> had to cancel multiple times. And then poor Emma obviously couldn't be here today. But thanks for your patience with us. And, okay. um, yeah, we really appreciate you jumping on and having a chat. Thanks for having me on and, yeah, talking about all this. It's, it's needed, very needed. <laughs> Wow, what an amazing chat that was. Thank you so much, Liv. I'm so moved by the way she told her story, her courage, her grace, despite obviously still experiencing quite a bit of heartache and those emotions still being very real and very raw. Um, so thank you, Liv. It's it's a very sensitive topic and um, unfortunately it's still a bit of a taboo subject. So I'm very proud of you, Liv, for 
opening up and sharing your story um, and helping us to remove some of that stigma and that shame that's associated with infertility. As you already know, next week we will be speaking to Dr. Ray Jung, who is both Liv's and my fertility specialist. Ray is someone I hold very dear to my heart. I personally owe so much to him. I can hand on my heart say that he is the reason Jack is with us today and I can't wait for you all to hear why Liv and I both adore him so much as both a specialist and a friend. So make sure you're tuning in next week and make sure you're subscribed to our podcast. Give us five stars, leave us a review and as always, we would love if people could go across and follow us on our Instagram account, which is at raw.thepodcast, that's spelled R-A-W-R. That's where you'll be able to get all of the updates and keep informed on what's coming up in our episodes, anything special that we want to share. And we also give give sneak peeks over there of what what's coming up in the episodes. So yeah, we hope to see you there. And thank you for joining us as always. We appreciate it so much. And seeing the the listens go up and up each week, it's just... Um, really special and yeah warms our hearts so thanks guys we'll speak to you soon and I look forward to sharing the next episode with you all bye guys